Timothy chapter 3. And so I want to go ahead and just read this scripture, and then we're going to jump right into it. Now in these days, or those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For, the, uh, for this is the one referred to by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of the one crying on the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around him and his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him. I love the way that's worded. The whole city. Um, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin. Now, I, I want to just touch this pause moment. Baptism for God's people was just a regular, a regular part of their worship. It's called a mikvah, but it was where they would be, uh, they, where they would uh, baptize themselves, or they they would repent of their sins. And, uh, and confess them before the Lord. Verse 7, but when they, he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham, or to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with the water of repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he'll gather his wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Lord, I ask you for grace to receive your word this morning. Lord, we come with expectation. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So December has arrived. Are you ready? That's the question everybody's asking each other, right? Are you ready for what? Christmas, right? Uh, any, any chance we can cue the soundtrack? Okay. So here we go. Here's the cue. Are you ready? Let's see if it can play for us. Yeah. That's the soundtrack I was playing for myself this week. Are you ready? Okay. So, very good. All right. Thanks. So, Denise calls me up this week. See, several weeks ago, you know, we, Denise and I began thinking and talking about Christmas. And uh, we sat down and began, she said, we've got to get this nailed down and hammered down a list. And thankfully, we came together and I, I felt like, you know, Spirit of God came and breathed upon us, the wind of Pentecost, and we had a list. I, you can laugh at me. I'm trying to be a little bit funny on that. All right, all right. So here we go. We got we've got this handwritten list. So Denise calls me up uh, a little bit earlier in the week, and she's in the store. She said, "Honey, would you tell me what's on the list?" I said, "I'm sorry, babe. I can't. 
like, you know, pull that. So she, she told me where she had hidden it. You're not going to be able to find it, Jancy. So we went, I, you know, I went to it, found it, uncovered it, and there's a list. It's got, you know, got all the kids that are listed there. And boy, to, to my absolute surprise, there are check marks beside several of them, which means a majority of them are on the way or already secured. Hallelujah. Thank you, Amazon. Anyway, uh, what I do know, though, is that there's this thing that happens for Denise and I uh, that I, I try to cure myself of each year, but I never quite get there, which is this. Honey, you've got the list. What else do you need? Right? Right, babe? So I'm, I'm like, she's got the list. We've got to figure it out. It's done. In my brain, it's done. We're ready. We can cue up the music. We're ready. Ready for Christmas. And so I'm this eternal optimist that's saying, honey, it's going to be fine. And I have this look on her face. I'm like, no, it's really, it's not, it's, it's good. It's all good. There were times in our, in our married journey and in our family journey, Denise would be done by October. And so, like, when, when we would get to Thanksgiving, she, you, she would have this panic that came upon her, like, what? I, I, how did I let this happen? And I'm the guy saying, oh, it's all good, it's all good. So I pick up the phone, and I flip it over. I'm like, hey, honey, this is awesome. Look, and she said, no, you're missing this. You, you slow down. And, it, and her point is that it takes more than just a list. She's trying to turn my attention to the fact that it isn't just that uh, of, of the, uh, let us, how do I want to word this, that there is a, the, 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 list that's written down, but that there's actually things that have to be done. So I've, I've, I'm thinking, got the list, it's all done, taken care of. Denise is the one that's turning, turning my attention and saying, no, we have to purchase and prepare. Unfortunately, that's really true. Now, second week of Advent, question, are you ready? And I've already alluded to this a little bit this morning, that oftentimes our focus is on getting ready for the event. In the church calendar, it's a, a time that we want to rehearse and remember the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ, coming into the world. And so, you know, part of me is like, yes, awesome, great. And so I'm queued up. We pushed pause in this little series that we're in the middle of. I've really been enjoying it as we're going through the Beatitudes, coming up to the, ad, you know, so we're looking at the, the passage Jack shared last week uh, on the message of Hope, good job, Jack. Thank you. Um, took the stress off me while I was gone at Thanksgiving. Thank you. Um, but then, uh, then I came to this week's passage, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I wonder if I can preach on some other passage other than the gospel text. Matthew 3, 1 to 12. Are you ready for this? Well, repent. Um. I was reading from another pastor, and he was, you know, out of this passage. And, you know, we're supposed to be retelling the birth of Jesus in the world, and yet here we have Matthew 3, John the Baptist. And, and he suggested this. He said, you know, what if, I, what if I came and I began a message preaching the way that John the Baptist did? Maybe it would sound a little bit like this. So I'm going to credit the pastor who wrote this. His name is Michael Marsh. But uh, he said it would sound a little bit like this. Here you go. You guys ready? You ready for this? So what brought you slithering in here today? You sons of snakes. 
why are you here? To get out of the cold? Well, it's still a little cold in here. To see your friends? To make yourself feel better about how faithful and good you are to get a cup of coffee? Are you here to give God a wish list that you call prayer? And don't even get me started about what you've done for this place or how much money that you've given. I want to know what you're doing with your life. Where are you headed? Don't give me a polite answer. This isn't a dressed up and a pretend time. This is serious. There's consequences to the way that you live and the choices that we make. So if you're here to change your life and to live a different way and open your life up to God, truly love your neighbor and yourself, then show it. Live it. Let it be seen by the choices that you make, the priorities that you establish, the actions you take, the words that you speak. If not, why are you here? Go ahead and see yourself out. Crawl back to where you came from. Happy Advent. Have we got that picture? Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. All right, that's a little bit rough, right? My, t my, my attempts at humor are not landing well this morning at all. Happy, ad happy Advent, you brood of vipers. All right. So why is this text, why is it that this text is selected in the lectionary for a time of Advent? Preparation, anticipate, the second week of the, of the church calendar year. It's not a feel-good passage. And yet, perhaps, perhaps, please hear this, perhaps it's the exact message that we need. Now listen to this. I, I really want to encourage you to hear what I'm trying to say right now. Not a repentance to secure a king and a kingdom, but a repentance because a king and a kingdom has already arrived. Do you hear the difference? And the message I want to share this morning is an invitation to turn, to notice, to see reality. That's the reality. We have a king, and there's a kingdom that's come. John's call to repentance proclaims that God cares so much for us that his kingdom is not contingent on a list of our moral behavior, our, our good deeds, the things that we've done. We've done that this repentance is an invitation to turn and see central to Jesus coming into the world is not because of man's brokenness and failure or even his successes. Central to Jesus coming is his passion for God to reveal God. To reveal the love of God firsthand in the midst of lives that are turned in the wrong direction. In the midst of the messiness of our life. That, beloved, is the kind of repentance that we're called to. And that, beloved, is good news. Prepare the way of the Lord is about preparing our hearts. It's not about some place or destination. It's about saying, God, allow that the fullness of your time, that place where you're revealed, would break into my life. Matthew 3, John the Baptist comes preaching in the wilderness. 
Now, have you ever paused and wondered, why does the story start here? Now, let me think. Luke gives us this account about Zacharias and Elizabeth, barren, and he's a priest, remember? And, and he's ministering before the Lord, and the angel of the Lord encounters him. You guys, right? You remember this story, right? And the Lord says, man, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be on you. You're going to have a son. And, and he said, like, how's that going to happen? He said, you know what? Here's the deal. You're not going to be able to talk until he's born. It's dramatic. And then, of course, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary. And, and when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, the, the baby in her womb leaps up and down. That's, that's John responding to the presence of Jesus, his cousin. And the last that we actually hear about their parents, specifically Jesus and Joseph, Jesus and John's uh, fathers. You've got Joseph and Zacharias. Uh, Jesus, remember, he's taken by his parents into Egypt to escape being killed by Herod. And so, you know, we haven't heard a thing uh, about John until he shows up in the wilderness. But why there? I mean, John's dad is a priest, a good priest, who would have been mentoring his son in the way of the priesthood. So here's a couple things that we need to infer and see pretty clearly. By this time, both Joseph and Zacharias, the, the, the fathers of uh, Jesus and John, okay, stepfather of Jesus but, and John, uh, so as, as Jesus and John are adults, their fathers have probably died. And so there's this dramatic shift that has occurred in John's life. He'd been being trained in the footsteps of his father, but in Matthew 3, we don't find John in the temple. We find him in the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Well, likely because he's chosen to remove himself from the very systems that Jesus confronts later in his ministry. In fact, John himself confronts them and says, hey, you guys, you brood of vipers, you're coming up. You say one thing, you, you live one thing in your religious practices, but your hearts have been formed by something else. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 23, said, on the outside, you look pretty, but on the inside, it's like there's dead men's bones. There's death on the inside of you. You're living a lifeless system of hypocrisy. And so I believe John has removed himself from that system. I, I believe John's probably one of the first, what we refer to in church history, as one of the first desert fathers. Um, he's... He can't be at home in this hypocritical system, and so he's choosing, not, not because he's saying, I'm better than you, but he's choosing to remove himself in order that he can actually live a heart that's alive before God. And so we have the church fathers, these desert fathers and mothers who, who left these systems that said, you know what, I can't be at home in this style of life where, where I'm, I can't live with an honest heart before God in the system that I'm surrounded by. So they left. And so the early church 
fathers, the early desert fathers, didn't leave to just form monastic groups of people that said, ah, you ugly people, we don't want to be near you. Actually, they were not so, so my, here's what I want you to hear is that the birth of the Desert Fathers and those movements was not out of exclusivity, it was inclusivity. It was a choice to say, I can't follow Jesus passionately and follow him with all of my heart. I'm separating myself so that I can follow. And anybody wants to come with me, come with me. You know what's fascinating? Several of those movements in Egypt today are thriving. Some of them are as old as 1,700 years. The, the desert fathers and mothers, by the way, just, just a little sidetrack. Um, the desert churches, uh, fathers and mothers have been, have been a gift to the body of Christ. Here's why. Uh, many of the early confessions of the church, like many of us would be familiar with things like, um, well, let's see, the Athanasian Creed was... Uh, highly influenced by a church father, patriarch named Athanasius. But let's go back even to the, the earliest confession of the church that we know that we refer to as the Apostles' Creed. Church fathers had a key part in that. John Chrysostom uh, was another man who had a key part in the early creeds and confessions of the church. Uh, so they gave themselves to being formed by the Scriptures and even preserving the Scriptures as late as 1946, when the Dead Sea Scrolls are, are, are discovered, those were remnants of the desert fathers and mothers who hid the scriptures to be preserved for future generations. We have a lot to be thankful for, for these uh, fathers and mothers. So here we got John out in the wilderness. Again, this place that he's gone to worship, the place he's gone to encounter in the wilderness, and he begins to proclaim a simple message of repentance that's far more than just the ritual practice of the mikvah, but a turning of the heart. You know, I had a conversation pretty recently, and I said, hey, you know, uh, what's repentance? Well, here's how we normally associate it, is apologizing, right? Is that important? Yes, it's important. But that's actually not repentance, Repentance is a turning. So I, I think about John, and here's a message that many of us have kind of internalized. They got this crazy-haired-looking guy. At least that's the image that comes to my mind. Dude living in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, got a camel's hair. I mean, the guy is just kind of, you know, wow. And he's saying, repent. So Here's the message that gets internalized. Turn or burn, hell is going to be your next station. Hell's your next lot. And you know, I've even been known at times, there were times in my journey that I preached almost like that. Look out. Look at what's next. Can I invite you to look at the text in Matthew 3? Did you ever notice that John, in all of his passion, while John is saying repent, not because of hell, what's the text say? What's come? Heaven. I submit to you that most of us have already experienced a lot of hell. 
a lot of brokenness in our own life, a lot of the ways in which hell has touched us and the lives of those around us, right? You don't have to wait till you're dead. It already starts now. Jesus makes it really clear what the agenda of hell looks like. You know, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Most of us have all been touched by something that has hit us in one way or another. John gives this proclamation, and I, I just want to invite us to this. And then, oh, wait a minute. It's exactly what Jesus proclaims in Mark 1, verse 14. And then he commissions in Luke, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Luke 11. Uh, oh, no, it's not coming to, to the brain, right? But anyway, as he commissions his, his disciples, both the, the 12 and the 72, as he sends them out, he says, here's what you proclaim. The kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Repent, not because of hell, but because of heaven. Beloved, that's good news. Okay? Now, so I, I doubt that there's many of us who haven't heard these sort of depictions of John the Baptist and, and the, the fierceness of his preaching that's made even our own hearts uncomfortable. And, and I and I wonder what it would have been to wander up and to hear him preaching, repent. See, there's plenty of places that I, I need to hear that message and that reminder, repent. But isn't that often how we hear the message of repentance? Turn or else. A message of judgment that provokes a sense of shame, of guilt. But John's message in Matthew 3 is not about some guilt-induced change of heart, but it's, a, it's about a shifting. See, it's, it's about a call. To, it's not this subtle recalculating, but a complete turn. It means you're facing the wrong way. Turn around. Our invitation is to hear the call to repent, not primarily about the standards of our moral worthiness, but to realign our heart to God's desire to realign our heart to, his, to, to the life of Christ being revealed in us, that heaven would be revealed in us. A couple of years ago, I, I picked up the phone and I called my oldest daughter. Babe! She finally answered the phone. What are you doing in New Mexico? Here's the backdrop. Madison had taken her brother Donovan and his buddies on an epic road trip. I mean, it was a road trip for the ages. They left Fort Wayne and they drove all the way to Oregon. Okay. Uh, they went to Crater Lake. They went south to the Redwoods. They went all the way south. They, they, they went surfing just south of L.A., and then they drove all the way back, saw the Grand Canyon. I mean, they saw loads and loads of stuff, and they did all that in what, how many days, honey, like 12? It was some insane amount of time. You do that when you're young. So she had allowed me to, you know, the little find my friends feature on my phone, right? So I got up this one particular morning. I knew that she, they, 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 she and the boys had been at my sister's house in Colorado, and I knew they were making their way from Colorado to Missouri. If you know your geography, you know that New Mexico is not on the way. 
babe, what are you doing in New Mexico? She said, we're not in Mexico. I said, honey, take a look on your phone. What are we doing in New Mexico? Why are we here? <laughs> well, I won't name names. Mr. Alex <laughs> was watching it. I, I swear is that he was listening to his, to his uh, what, he, what is the GPS on the phone, turned him in the wrong direction. I know where he made the wrong turn because uh, I'm familiar with that road. I, I used to live out there. And so they had to make a decision where they, they've got to get this van turned in the right direction, which, by the way, they got to add Oklahoma to the list. So uh, they had that gone on for more hours, it would have been very, very frustrating to say the least. The gift of repentance, beloved, isn't just an apology. It's a turning of direction. Do you get my point? This is, we've got to get this early and often settled in our head. And what am I repenting? It isn't just that I'm repenting from, oops, I'm, this is yuck. I don't like it. You're right. It is yuck. But we're repenting because heaven Jesus has come to reveal himself. The gift of repentance is the invitation to turn. John proclaims that, that, that God's love comes even when we're at our worst and we're facing the wrong direction. We're invited to turn. One theologian, John Burgess, put it this way. He said, repentance is not so much about our guilt feelings as much as it is about God's power to transform us into Christ's image. Repentance is a different vision of our life of our world. It's a vision of hope, of peace, of love. It's a new way to live. See, the truth be told, we've all struggled with a limited vision and following directions being given to us and told to us by the world. This is the way to live. It's not. Jesus invites us to a different way to live. That's why he invited us to repent. So how do we repent? What does that mean? Here's a couple of things I want to submit. Number one, check your GPS. Uh, check the directions. See, whether intended or not, I want to say this again. We've internalized that message that repentance means I need to straighten up first and foremost. In order for the kingdom to come in my life. Let's get, the, let's, let's get the order correct. That isn't what John proclaims, nor what Jesus boldly proclaims in Mark 1. We repent because the kingdom has come. Can I say that one more time? We do not repent in order for the kingdom to come. We repent because it has come. So we celebrate and we rehearse in this Advent season. Oh, my goodness, Lord, remind me again. Oh, yeah, you've come. And my repentance isn't what makes the kingdom arrive. Repentance is how I show up to the kingdom that is already here. Repentance is our response, not the precondition to the kingdom. Now, see, this is very important. We get this thing really, really settled in us. There are, there are shades of this that can get preached, and it gets, can start getting kind of weird. When we begin to proclaim things like, if you'll only do this, then God will 
bless you in this way. Well, yeah, there's a blessing to obedience, but, beloved, his kingdom has come. He's accomplished everything that he needed to on the cross. Let's surrender to that truth. Let's surrender to good news that's already here. Amen? So our acknowledgement in repentance is that we're headed towards and facing the wrong direction. So I'm going to say this even a little. I want want to poke my finger on this a little bit more. Repentance, beloved, is not our entry into the kingdom. What? Your entrance into the kingdom was secured by Jesus Christ. I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the way. I'm the truth. It's me. Repentance is my cooperation with that kingdom. So, I'm going to go a little farther here. Watch this. My guilt, my tears, my remorse isn't what gets me into the kingdom. It's important. There is such a thing as godly sorrow. But that doesn't earn me a place at the table. The love of God revealed in Christ has given me a place. Repentance is me cooperating with that and surrendering to its truth. Is there an amen? Again, it may involve tears and remorse, but it is mostly about surrender to what's been freely given to me. I'm in New Mexico. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Probably ought to stop and turn around. Oh, soul. Are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. A life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory. And grace. Beautiful hymn, isn't it? That's good theology. Some hymns don't have good theology. That one does. Number three, repentance is that reality. When our gaze meets the gaze of Christ. I, again, I want to say this. I've alluded to this a couple of times in the last few weeks. But, man, I, I, any of you been fascinated by these images coming from NASA of late? I just look at him and go, this is amazing. The majesty, the beauty of the universe, it's incredible. Ready for this? It's always been there. We're just seeing it a little clearer. Those colors, the contrast, it's always been there. We're just beginning to see a little bit more. Beloved, repentance is when I'm turning to see a little more clearly the beauty and the majesty of the love of God revealed in Christ, the wonder of Jesus. I was meditating on Isaiah 9 earlier this week, and I'm 
you know, going through uh, a, 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 an Advent devotional personally. And so I was in Isaiah 9 and meditating on this, uh, that passage, you know, of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. And, man, I prayed into those verses so many different times, and I thought, oh, God, your government, no end to the increase of your government. Lord, that means that you're going to continue. This, this beauty of the revelation of Jesus and your kingdom is going to continue to cover the earth. This is the great promise you've made that, that as the waters cover the, the, the sea, Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth. Nothing lacking, nothing wanting. He's going to be revealed, oh God. And I'm just I'm meditating upon this and I'm thinking about it. I thought, wait a minute. Your government isn't like any government I know. Your government was fully revealed in your son, Jesus. Jesus, you revealed your government completely in self-giving, self-emptying love on a cross. Your government is a cross. Guys, any other, any other reach for power is the wrong reach. It's cross-shaped love that redeems, reconciles, and restores of the increase of your government. Oh, God, there'll be no end. Help me see it more clearly again today as I get so frustrated at what I see happening in my own life or in the world around me. See, John invites us in this season of Advent, repent, change, not because you're bad, deficient, defective, But because he looked at you and said, I know what you look like. I know your worth. Even when you can't see it. And I know that you were worth what I am paying. He knows your original design made in the image and the likeness of God. He knows that the beauty of that government revealed a government that looks like, watch, receiving the love of God and extending it to my neighbor and loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is the only thing that will literally change the world. I was just reading this morning uh, something that Martin Luther King Jr. had written that literally states this reality. That, beloved, is the only thing that will shift and change. Repentance that is based in the love of Christ. Not about guilt, not about shame but about saying yes to his love and his forgiveness that it would direct my life. And that, beloved, is about taking up our cross and following him. That's what that's really about. Finally, it means your repentance is an invitation to surrender exactly where I am at. Um, a couple of weeks back, might have been more than that, I'm sitting in my office doing my thing. And I look out my window, and it's just positioned so I can see who's coming down the drive and who's coming down the drive but my daughter from college with friends in her car in the middle of the day, unannounced. I spring up to my feet. Denise isn't here. What am I supposed to do? They come in. I said, hi, I'm... I'm Danny's dad. What's your name? Why are you here? You didn't tell us you're going to bring some friends. The house is kind of messy. 
call up Denise in the secret. Honey, be prepared. Do I need to get a meal ready? Did she tell you she was coming? No, she didn't tell me. I pull her to the side. I said, you know, next time you want to show up, can you maybe kind of tell me what you what, what is it that you want? What she wanted to do is just come by. And she decided it was okay and the house was a mess. That her friends wouldn't mind. Real repentance, beloved. Listen, this is what I'm trying to say to us. Um, means that I don't need to prepare or let me get everything all in order. Real repentance means right where I'm at, right in the mess. You know, I pray, I, I, if I've, I, hopefully you've heard me share this before, but this is when I pray this phrase out of Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me. There's times that I'll pause for a moment and say, Lord, I need to acknowledge my frustration, my hurt and pain, all that is in me. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm just going to say, bless the Lord, O my soul. I want to recognize, see, real repentance takes root. When we let go of some idea that somehow I got to get fixed up before I can get get the house not to be a mess, but I actually turn right where I'm at. Simply surrender because love is enough right there. The love of God is enough right there. By the way, she didn't ask for meals. She just got back in the car and headed back. I, crazy. It's kind of like she just wanted to drop by. Repentance invites us to surrender right where we are. Beloved, John's call to repentance proclaims that God cares so much for us and his kingdom. And, it, and it's not contingent on our good behavior, on our moral behavior. The repentance that he invites us to is to turn to see that central to Jesus coming into the world was not because of man's failures or his successes, but to reveal God and his love firsthand. In the midst of our messy life, in the midst of right where we are, and that kind of repentance, beloved, is good news, and it's repentance that brings hope and peace. I want to invite you this morning to close with me in this prayer. Would you stand up with me? And let's, uh, let's pray this prayer together. table here in just a moment. God of timeless grace, you fill us with joyful expectation. Make us ready for the message that prepares the way, that with uprightness of heart and holy joy, we may eagerly await the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forevermore. Lord, as we come to this, this your table at your invitation, we thank you, Lord, that you've given to us this proclamation that as we participate at this table, we proclaim your life and your death. So, Lord, at this table, we confess that we've sinned. We've sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we've done, by what we've left undone. Not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors ourselves. 
We ask you to cleanse us and to forgive us. That we would and, and wash us and to make us new. That we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and the honor of your name. Lord, as we receive this communion.